You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. One of my fond memories of growing up in rural Pennsylvania was these times when my dad would take me for a long drive into Amish country. And I was just a little guy. And my dad, he would load me up in the car early in the morning and we would begin the long drive out to Smicksburg, which is where there were a lot of Amish. And my dad would take me to Amish restaurants to eat the food that they eat. And we would patronize different businesses that were run by the Amish. But every time we were on our way out to Amish country, there would come this moment where we would be getting close and my dad would roll down the windows and then a smile would begin to grow across his face. And then all of a sudden this smell would hit us and I would say, oh man, that's terrible. And it was the smell of the manure that had been spread for the crops by the farmers. And I was always puzzled as a kid as to how something that smelled this bad was actually good for growing food. It seemed like a strange strategy for growth. But this is how the Amish farmers prepared the fields for a great harvest. And as we look at what's happening in our text for today, we see that the way God chooses to grow his church and extend his mission seems so puzzling. Just when the church seems to be gaining momentum in their mission, one of their key leaders is killed. But the Lord reminds his people that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Because in God's economy, things are counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. Things are flipped from what we expect. Why? Because the Lord is trying to set the world back on its proper Mm -hmm. axis. And ever since Genesis 3, the world has been upside down. So the ways of the kingdom seem upside down to us, but they're actually right right side up. That's the way of the kingdom. But it's counterintuitive to us. Because in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way to become great is to humble yourself. The way to become strong is to acknowledge your weakness. The way to become rich is to admit your poverty. And in our text for today, we see that the growth of God's church and its mission comes through the sufferings and the martyrdom of God's people. So we... We're going to approach this text through two points this morning as we consider the witness and the welcome. The witness and the welcome in this text. So let's look at our first point as we think about the witness. Now, the narrative before us, it's important to read narrative portions, right? Don't treat all of the Bible as if it's a letter from Paul. Where it's all condensed, right? Some things you need the whole story. You need the narrative because it's the story as a whole that is the unit of communication. But this narrative that is before us this morning, 
it's not just a story of the strong faith of one person. This is actually an important hinge point, not only in the book of Acts, but in the entirety of the, the story of the Christian church. This is a hinge point. Christianity will never be the same after this moment. Check it out. Back in the beginning of the book of Acts, we notice this programmatic statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. And here's that programmatic statement. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus says he has planned for his witnesses. These are the marching orders. And in this text, there's something monumental happening here in the life and history of the church. Because up to this point in the book of Acts, the church has been witnesses to Jerusalem and nowhere else yet. You see, the church up to this point has been stuck in Jerusalem. And they're seeing lots of fruit. They're seeing lots of momentum, but they're stuck. They have not yet gotten outside of the boundaries of their homeland. In other words, they were still doing ministry in the place that was culturally comfortable. They were stuck. They, they seemed incapable of getting out of Jerusalem. They were still doing ministry in the place where they understood all the customs, where they understood the language, where they understood the, the, the different expectations that were going on in society. This was a place of familiarity to them. They were in the place where people were like them. And with all of the extraordinary ministry results, with all of the fruit that they were seeing in their community, it would have been very easy for them to justify staying put. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Look at how many people are coming to faith near Jerusalem. Look at how good things are here. Let's just hold it down, build the fortress, and continue to build with our people. It would have been easy for them to justify staying put. But something crucial happens that sets off the truly global mission of the church. What God does is he pushes his people into the full scope of the mission that he has given to them by opening the floodgates of persecution and opposition. Hear that. That's how the Lord presses them into the full scope of the mission. This is how he breaks them free and propels them into the world and to every people group on the globe. And we have to admit, it's a strange growth strategy, right? It smells bad. But the Lord is going to use this martyrdom to prepare the fields for that greater harvest. And it comes through the martyrdom of Stephen. And it's here in this text that we begin to get a richer sense of just what it means to be a witness. When Jesus speaks in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses. 
And the Greek word behind our English translation, witness, is the Greek word, martyrates, which is where we get the word martyr from. What do you think of when you hear the word martyr? What do you think of? What's your word association? I think one common association is pejorative. If you ever heard someone say, oh, they think they're a martyr. Maybe you think of a martyr as somebody who self-destructs due to extremism. That's something very different from what Jesus has in mind when he calls his people witnesses. When Jesus tells the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that they will be witnesses, he's basically saying that they will be a people that in life and in death tell of who he is yeah. as Lord and Redeemer. This will be the full scope of their lives. To be a martyr is to be a witness, and to be a witness is to be a martyr. But what's this look like for us? What do we learn about the way that this plays out in the life of the church? Why is this important? I will say to you, the first reason why this is important is because this is something very important from the scriptures that is hung upon us as an identifier. The second reason why is because this is one of our core values at Grace Mosaic. Witness. In other words, this is one of the reasons for this church's existence. Witness. So we must know something about what this means and how it plays out. First thing I want to say is this. And we see this confirmed in the life of Stephen. So what I want to do now is I want to look at the life and witness of Stephen. And I want to use his life as a launch pad to describe, define, and unpack further what it means for us to be witnesses. The first thing that we see that's obvious in the life of Stephen about the life of witness is that witness is not just about something that you do. Witness is about something that we are to become. Witnesses, witness begins with an identity before it becomes an activity. That is really important. The activity of witness flows from the identity of being a witness. Jesus said, you will do the work of witness. No, that's not what he said. He says, you will be my witnesses. Here's the thing. If you are ever to progress in the activity of witness, then you must take the identity of a witness. And you can see this in the description of Stephen. Look at the text. He is said to be, quote, full of the spirit and wisdom. He is said to be, quote, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's in the, in the passage of Pastor Joel preached for you last week. And in our text for today, he is said to be full of God's grace and power. This man's life is full. God has acted upon him, and we are seeing the results of his identity transformation in the way that he lives, in the way that he bears witness. And it's giving us a heads up that there is an internal transformation that takes place. And what goes deepest to your heart is what you send widest to the world. If you get an identity change, 
it will inevitably change your activity. Inasmuch as your activities fall short of what God has envisioned for you, you are failing to connect with your identity. You're failing to connect with your identity. If you are a Christian, you need to resonate more deeply with who it is that you have become because of the love and grace of God. This is, this is what we see in this text, evidence in the life and witness of Stephen. God has acted upon Stephen, and now Stephen acts in the world. He has a different outlook on what he is to do because he has taken a different outlook on who he is. You have to settle the identity question if you are going to rightly wrestle with the activity questions of your life. If you have come to know that you are God's beloved, then you can act as God's beloved in the world. And you don't need to chase the affirmations of your boss or your manager or your peers. You don't need to chase that affirmation. The beloved of God act in the world differently. If you know that you have become the Lord's servant by faith, then you can act as God's servant in the world. And you won't be surprised when people treat you like a servant. You can tell if you're living like a servant whether you get offended when someone treats you like a servant. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought to yourself, Man, these kids leaving their clothes all over this house. Who do they think I am? They're a servant? <laughs> <laughs> well, are you? You identify in that way, right? If you know you're God's servant, then you can, yes, teach your kids responsibility. Kids, don't leave your clothes all over the house with your toys. I banned Legos in my house because I didn't want to step on the mugs no more. Mm -hmm. If you know that you are adopted by God, then you no longer live as an orphan in the world. You live as a beloved and secure child who is free to give yourself away to others because you don't have to fear running out because you are cared for by your Heavenly Father. You see how this works? If you identify as a witness, then you will act like a witness. Get something straight. You are a full-time witness and a full-time attorney. You're a full-time witness and a full-time business person. You are a full-time witness and a full-time scientist. The minute you begin to think of witness as your side hustle or your part-time gig, right. you're messing up your whole identity feature. Right. Wow. This is not a part-time thing. This is not a side thing. You are a witness, and that witness is expressed through your various vocations, right. Right. through the various opportunities that you have, whether you're home with kids and that is your work, or you're out there in the mix at the high level, working in the White House, wherever you may be. You are a witness. Yeah. We see this in Stephen. And this is why Luke includes this, this story in his book. Why does he tell this lengthy narrative? Why does, he, why does he put this before the church right at the beginning of its mission? Because he wants you to enter the story, friend. He's showing you a man who played his role in God's story. It wasn't very long. Right. Yeah. You know... When I was training in the theater, one of the things that I recognized 
is that some characters, when you get when you get cast for a show, some characters, they they don't last for the whole story. But they're crucial characters in the development of the plot line. Right, right. You don't know how long the Lord is gonna have you on this earth. But don't you wanna play your part in the plot? Playing the part of a witness. Maybe the story of Northeast DC is going to be utterly transformed because of the way we play our part in the story. Yeah. Or are you too cynical to conceive of something that grand? Mm. Luke wants you to jump in to play your part in the story as a witness, but you will never play your part until you assume the identity of a witness. Who are you? You are a witness of the resurrected Lord Jesus who rules over all, who spreads his love throughout the earth, and he calls all men, women, and children to turn from the sins that are killing them and to come back to him because he gives life. He gives joy. He gives purpose. He gives meaning. He gives healing. He's the one who sets it all right. And their lives, we know, will never quite be right. They'll always be searching. They will be on the treadmill. The reality of motion with the illusion of progress. They won't be going anywhere in life unless they have an encounter with Jesus. And this is our responsibility to share that message with them and to live lives before them that support the message that we proclaim. It starts with the identity of a witness and Luke wants you to play your part in the story. Witness begins with an identity. But we see in verses 51 to 53 also that a witness has the wisdom and the prophetic courage to address sin and salvation in Christ. Say that one more time. A witness has the wisdom and the prophetic courage to address sin and salvation in Christ. Check it out. Stephen is able to tell the story of God and to help his audience to place themselves in the story. Now, here's the deal. Some people, all people, are living according to some story. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are living according to the story of the American dream. They're not living according to the story of God. Mm -hmm. There are other people who are trying to live according to the story of God, but they place themselves in the wrong place of the story. Mm -hmm. They place themselves as the heroes. You see, this is what the audience of Stephen did. They placed themselves in the story, aligning themselves with the faithful forefathers of Israel, not with the rebellious, idolatrous forefathers of Israel. And so by telling, rehearsing the story, Stephen is doing multiple things. One of the things that he's doing is he's answering the charge. They have charged him with blasphemy because of what he says about the temple and what he says about Moses. They say that he's betraying Moses. By telling the story and then placing them in the story in their proper place, he says, you think I'm the one playing games with Moses in the temple? Not y'all are the ones playing games with Moses in the temple. I take Moses seriously. 
because Moses was meant to point us to another redeemer who was raised up and then rejected by the ones he came to save. And guess where you're at? You're the ones rejecting him. He helps them to find their place in the story. Now listen, do Stephen's words seem harsh to you? Hmm. I know they do. You can, you can be honest. Stephen's word, and he said, you stiff neck. You might have been like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and you probably couldn't imagine yourself saying something like that to another person. I want you to understand something, though. Stephen shows us something very important. Mm. You see in the text that it says he's full of wisdom. And it takes wisdom to know whether the person in front of you needs a gentle and kind word or a hard word. And Stephen knew that his audience needed a hard word. They needed a rebuke. Some people need a soft and gentle word because they have been beaten down. But some people need a hard word in order to gain a soft heart. You know, it's interesting. For example, you talk about placing people in the story. I think it's amazing that for most of the history of America, many people who were Christians identified America with Israel. Why didn't they situate America with Babylon? That would be a more accurate placing of this country in the story of God. Or, to be kinder, <laughs> we're the ends of the earth. This country was called the city set on a hill. Do you understand? We got to help people to place themselves in the story, but it takes wisdom to know how to do that. Who am I dealing with? And Lord, will you give me the wisdom to speak the message, to convey the message, to bear witness in a way that they need to hear it. Right. Some people need the hard word. Some people need the gentle, gracious words. Stephen calls them to repentance. And another thing that I want to say from this text, and this is important for this community to hear, because we like to be nice, but niceness is not a Christian virtue. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is... Being truthful is keeping in step with the Spirit. But check it out. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells them what they need to know in order to find redemption in Christ. And there's this notion that a lot of Christians have grabbed onto in the last couple decades. It's called friendship evangelism. Evangelism is where you share the good news of the gospel with other people. Friendship evangelism was, you know what? We got to build friendships with people and then we can share the hope of the gospel with them. Friendship is valuable in itself. But we also want to be witnesses. But you know what has happened to a lot of people? They have friendship, but there's no evangelism. They have passed on that message because they are evading the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Friends, remember your identity. Remember your identity. And remember that a witness has the wisdom and the prophetic courage. Why do I say prophetic courage? Because you see what Stephen is doing? He is taking up, he is assuming the role of an Old Testament prophet. How does he do that? 
<laughs> he keeps referring back to Moses, and that's exactly what the prophets did. And he assumes that kind of posture in the way that he preaches to these folks. It's prophetic courage. And you know what? I want to say this. If you have found your way to Grace Mosaic from another church, we're glad you're here. True, we are. But you know that's not primarily the way we want to grow this church, right? right. Yeah. By receiving people from other churches in this city. We're glad that you're here. Don't hear me wrong. But we want this church to grow by conversions. Right. Right. By people stepping out of darkness into the light. By people crossing from death to life. That is why God put us here. And I think that is the only way that we're going to grow in our reach to native D.C. Right. Yeah. Don't, let's not rest on the fact that we get people who trickle in here from other churches and that helps to buoy us. Yeah. That's not the mission. Mm -hmm. The mission is to be witnesses where the Lord has sent us, northeast yeah. D.C. Right. We want to grow through conversions. Witnesses have the wisdom and prophetic courage to address sin and salvation in Christ. Next, we see in this text, a witness faithfully accepts the consequences of their testimony and endures afflictions on behalf of Christ with grace. A witness faithfully accepts the consequences of their testimony and endures afflictions on behalf of Christ with grace. There's a lot for us to learn from the witness of Stephen. But you see that he bears the afflictions and sufferings of standing firm and faithful in Christ. Through this narrative, Luke is trying to get you to enter into this story and examine your own heart and life. And he's essentially saying this. If the Holy Spirit can sustain Stephen in faithfulness as he's being stoned, he can sustain you through whatever it is that you are enduring as a result of witness. This is a powerful, powerful example of the Lord's ability to sustain and empower his witnesses. When you think of the power that Jesus spoke of in chapter 1, what kind of power are you imagining? Power to ride on top of the world or power to submit to the yoke of suffering, affliction, and brutality at the hands of wicked people, to bear up under that and to remain resilient, to bear witness to Christ. This is the way that power takes shape in the life of Stephen. And Luke wants us to enter in. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to know the results ahead of time. Like Stephen, you can entrust yourself to the Lord we sang all the time in the church I grew up in. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. It's a good reminder. Your life is in his hands. And once you give your life to Christ, once you put your life in his hands, stop trying to take it back when you get nervous. You know, you know what that's like, 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 oh, Jesus, what are you doing? No, no, no. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. Let me see that. You know, you know how sometimes you might do it with your kids? You'd be like, okay, yeah, you can do that. Wait, wait, hold on. Give me that back. Give me that back. Because you don't trust that the kids are going to do. How many times 
Do you try? The Lord's got your life in his hands like this, and you're clutching it like, give it back, I'm scared. Give it back, I'm not sure you're going to do a good job with it. How foolish is that? You're trying to take your life out of the hands of the one who needs to ask no questions, who has no uncertainties, who has no deficiencies, who is almighty, all good. (laughs) And you want to take... The wheel, think about it. Witnesses entrust themselves to the Lord. They put their lives in his hands because they recognize that their life is not their own. They have been bought with a price, and they have a mind to glorify the Lord in their life and even in their death. You know what is true about Stephen? The reality is that Stephen had already died before his martyrdom. He had already died. He had already denied himself, took up his cross, and followed Jesus. He died to himself. He died to his wayward longings. He died to his ambitions. He died and his life was hidden with Christ in God. But the more important question this morning is, have you? Have you already died? The only way that you will fear those deaths out there bearing witness is if you have not yet died. But that is the life of discipleship. That is the life of following Jesus. Listen to me. If your pathway that you're on right now does not lead you to a cross with your name on it, then you're not following Jesus. You're following somebody, but it's not Jesus. Think about the idea of following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you ultimately find your way to a cross. That's the hard part. But you know what the good part is? You go through that cross to a resurrection, to exaltation. It's that whole story. That's what following Jesus gets you. Yes, you may have Good Friday problems, but you have resurrection hope. But an important question to ask is, does the pathway I'm on actually involve a cross? That's how you know you're following Jesus. Stephen had already truly given his life to Christ, so that's what enabled him to give his life for Christ. You see? As Pastor Joel said last week, Stephens are not born, they are made. Stephens are made by the grace and love of Christ being practiced into your soul. It starts with the small things in the everyday, and that's practice for the big moments. We also see in this text that a witness sees through the veil of this world with the eyes of faith into the heavenly reality of God's kingdom. We see this in verse 54. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth in him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What is happening here, y'all? This is what's happening, I think. 
It's not like Stephen looks off far away and he sees this little window up there and he's like, oh, I think I see Jesus. I don't think that's what's happening. You know what I think is happening? It's like that Old Testament story where Elisha the prophet is walking with one of his servants and they're before a, it's before a battle. And the servant of Elisha is terrified. He's scared. And then Elisha prays and he says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And all of a sudden, the servant sees the mountains covered with the angelic army, the host. It's like a vast army that is unveiled before him. And and he says, whoa, those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. I think that's the kind of vision that Stephen gets right here. He is facing the terror of his enemies in this life right now. But then the Lord opens up and he sees true reality. He sees the glory of God. He sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. He sees the great cloud of witnesses that he is soon to join. And his soul is emboldened because heaven is breaking in right now and it's informing his present reality. And you know, we may not get an actual vision like that, but all of God's witnesses can see those realities with the eyes of faith. When you are being persecuted or mocked or mistreated right now, a witness is able to see through to the glorious reality knowing that you will be vindicated. That is what chills our fears. That's what calms our hearts. That's what guts our anxieties. God is on the throne and Christ is at the right hand of the Father in the position of power and intercession. Stephen sees through the fog of this world, and we need to see through the fog of this world, don't we? We need to see through the fog of this world during election cycles. We need to see through the fog of this world when we look at the neighborhood and things are going wrong, and we see violence and corruption and brokenness. We need to see through the fog of this world when we're engaging our neighbors and trying to love them and when we're trying to be faithfully present with people who are resistant to us or reject us. We need to see beyond the fog of this world when faithfulness to Christ brings us trouble, mockery, and disdain in this world. We need to see through the fog. The next thing we see in this text is that a witness loves and forgives enemies. If we knew nothing else about Christianity except for the fact that its martyrs called down forgiveness and blessing rather than cursing and judgment on their executioners and opponents, we would be getting the central motif of the Christian faith. And we wonder why so many people want nothing to do with Christians today. Because Christians in America are not revealing themselves to be the kind of folk who bless those who curse them who serve those who mistreat them. No, we're fighting for power. We're grabbing for influence. We're trying to control things. We're trying to control neighbors. We're trying to be in the driver's seat, and we're betraying Christian witness. Look at Stephen, falsely accused, falsely persecuted, false witnesses brought against him. And what's he doing? Bearing witness by praying forgiveness over his killers and asking for the Lord to receive his spirit in the face of death. Do you see what's going on here? 
Did you notice it in the text? Stephen is following Jesus all the way because Jesus went all the way for Stephen. The gospel got so deep into his bones that he's imitating the life and love of Christ toward his enemies. This is what Jesus did just a few short years prior. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. A witness has a Christ-formed life. And there's only one major difference in this text. Jesus calls out to the Father from the cross when he's praying for his enemies. Stephen calls out to Jesus. Confirming the divinity of Christ and his lordship over all. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Christ was made God at Nicaea. That's foolishness. The Bible again and again confirms the divinity of Christ. And there's no explanation for a man allowing himself to be stoned to death unless he really beheld Christ risen. Proof upon proof upon proof. Stephen had been marked by the life of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the promised return of Christ. Can you picture this man? In his dying moment, on his knees, being pummeled by stones, crying out in prayer for the forgiveness of those stoning him and asking Jesus to receive him into glory. His life was consummated in a final sermon that clearly said, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he's worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. And I love how Luke says, and Saul was there. We're going to get to that because we're going to turn up on Easter. We're going to get to that. But when Saul meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, it begins to dawn on him the crimes that he has committed in martyring the followers of Christ. And he's transformed. You see what God is doing here? A lot of times, because we can't figure out what God is doing in our suffering, we conclude he's doing nothing. We conclude he's just out to make our lives difficult. But God is always doing many things at once and all things well. Look at what he does. God is going to create the greatest missionary, the greatest Turk that ever lived through the martyrdom, the forgiveness, and the Christiformity of Stephen. His ways are not your ways, and his thoughts are not your thoughts. A witness, a witness loves and forgives enemies, but finally, a witness knows the welcome of God in life and in death. And this brings us to our final short point, the welcome. I think this passage of scripture is one of the most moving passages if you really understand what's going on. It's astonishing when you look at what's happening. We see something in this text of the relationship that Christ sustains to his people, and it's powerful. Stephen knew that Christ stood for him at Calvary, so now he stands as a witness for Christ. And in the New Testament, whenever Jesus is described in the presence of the Father. 
He's always described as seated at the right hand of God. But when Jesus sees the love and the faithfulness of his witness who testifies to his person and work, Jesus stands up to give his beloved son Stephen an ovation for his faithfulness unto death. Jesus stands to receive his people. He stands to extend the royal welcome to his saints. He stands to crown his martyrs. And it's profoundly encouraging for all those who bear afflictions for bearing the name of Christ. Stephen not only saw Jesus, he saw that Jesus saw him. The one who will vindicate sees him. The one who raises the dead sees him. But the good news is that Jesus didn't just stand for Stephen. Jesus stands for you. He stands when you bear witness through afflictions and rejection. He stands when you bring the truth of his word against the lies of this world. He stands when you suffer abuse and scorn in his name. He stands as we die in the faith and he shall not only vindicate us, he shall raise us. This is how Ambrose, the preacher through whom Augustine came to faith, this is how Ambrose puts it, quote, Jesus stood as a helpmate. He stood as if anxious to help Stephen, his athlete in the struggle. He stood as though ready to crown his martyr. Let him then stand for you that you may not fear him sitting. For when he sits, he judges. This is the good news of the gospel that Jesus stands to welcome his witnesses into his kingdom. Stephen fell asleep in this world and he was awakened to glory. He was shamefully brought down to death, but he gloriously rose to eternal life. And I want to ask you, do you think that Stephen had any regrets about his choice to give his life for Jesus? I promise you, he had no regrets. His whole life made sense upon the first glimpse of the glorious face of smiling Jesus who said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I promise you that no sacrifice that you make, big or small, for bearing witness to Christ, you won't regret a single one of those sacrifices on that day. And all of it will make sense upon your first glimpse at the face of Jesus. What are you living for? What are you giving your energy to? How are you bending and forming your life? Let it be to witness. Because this is who Jesus is. Stephen was shaped by the gospel, empowered by the spirit to live in light of the resurrection. So let us enter this story today as his beloved. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.